When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Greg Laurie is the senior pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship. In 1990, Greg began holding large public-scale evangelistic events called Harvest Crusades. And since that time, more than 9 million people have participated in those crusade events in person or online around the United States. Greg, thanks so much for joining us on Takeaways. Kirk, thanks for having me. Man, it's such an honor to be talking with you. No, no. The honor is mine. And, as I was, I still have a lunchbox from your lunchbox from your series. I'm kidding. <laughs> and you know what? You have one of those voices that rockets me back yes. to the 1980s when I first came. Just to made faith me in feel Christ. really old. Well, because on the radio, I was yeah. listening to you and Raul Reese and yes. R.C. Sproul and yes. John, and it's like I hear your voice and I go, "This is when I first came to a faith in Jesus." Mm. So it's a real honor to talk with you. Well, thanks. I, it's funny, I get recognized sometimes by my voice more than my face. Uh, there's something about radio that, uh, you know, gets you out there to people and someone to go, I've heard that voice before. Wait, what, who are you? Yeah, you know? and then they say to you, boy, you're not anything like I thought yeah. you would look. Oh, I've you know, had you were much more... Yeah, I've had people say to me, are you Greg Laurie? And I said, no, I'm a stuntman. Whenever Greg <laughs> falls, that's me. And they go, oh... <laughs> no, I'm not a stuntman, I'm just kidding. Greg, um, I love what we're talking about today. We're going to talk yeah. about revival. We're going to talk about the Jesus revolution. And you were a part of that back in the day. Yeah. And we so desperately need a revival today within the church, within yeah. the country. Uh, people need personal revival. Yeah. But before we talk about revival, I would love to hear your personal story okay. of faith. How did you come to Jesus and what was the background behind that? Right. Well, I was uh, born in 1952. My mother was beautiful. She literally was a dead ringer for Marilyn Monroe. She was married and divorced seven times. Uh, she was a raging alcoholic. And when I say alcoholic, she passed out every night. Uh, she would get in big drunken brawls with her husbands and boyfriends in between. So I had to grow up really quick. You know, I lived with my mom for a time. I lived with my grandparents. I was sent to military school. So it was a very unusual upbringing, but it got me searching for answers at a very early age. Where mm -hmm. Some kids are just probably wondering if they'll make the football team. I'm sitting around wondering about life. Like, what is the meaning of life? It has to be better than this. Fast forward now, it's late 60s. The drug culture is coming on strong. And like many people in my generation, we believe the lie that drugs would expand our consciousness and make us more aware. In yeah. one sense, they made us more aware of how miserable we were. So I started smoking marijuana pretty much every day, taking LSD, and that went on for maybe a year and a half, and, and I had what is called a bad trip, which means you kind of flip out. You, you, I was running down the street screaming because I heard a voice saying to me, you're gonna die. I'm just like a 16-year-old kid at this point. And I looked in the mirror and I saw my face melting and I saw my skull exposed and I was so scared. And so I thought, I don't wanna do drugs anymore. I hate this. I hate this life I've chosen. So I, I was on a high school campus at Harbor High School in Newport Beach, California. 
And so the Jesus movement was happening. So I transferred from Corona de Mar High School, another school in, in the Newport area over to Harbor. And I was warned when I got to the campus by my friends, watch out, there's a lot of Jesus freaks on this, uh, on this uh, campus. And I said to them, the last thing you'll ever see is Greg Glory becoming a Jesus freak. Famous last words. So one day I'm walking across the campus and I see this girl that's kind of attractive. And a friend of mine was talking to her and I thought I'd walk over and talk to them. I wanted to meet her. And I was waiting for a break in the conversation. She had a textbook for class and a notebook. Then I saw she had one of those black books with gold pages and ribbons. I went, oh no, she's a Jesus freak. And I literally thought, what a waste of a perfectly cute girl, right? So the next day at lunchtime, I'm walking across the campus looking for this girl. And I realized now it wasn't that she was the most beautiful girl I'd ever seen, but I saw Jesus in her and it was like a light to me. And I saw her sitting with the Christians on the front lawn of our high school campus. So I sat down close enough where I could sort of eavesdrop on their conversation, but not like as a part of the group. And I watched them singing these songs about God. And I was very cynical because of the life I'd lived. But yet I wanted something more. And I looked at them, I thought, these people are crazy. But the problem was I knew a couple of them and I used to party with them and I'd seen the change that had happened in their life. So I couldn't dismiss them and say that they're all crazy. So then this new thought occurred to me, what if they're right? And what if it's all true? And what if you can have a relationship with God? I quickly dismissed it. There's no way that's not possible. The life I've seen, the life I've lived, no, that's like a fairy tale. Then I tried the thought on one more time. Well, yeah, but what if it is true? And I'm sort of contemplating this. And this guy named Lonnie Frisbee is like this hippie evangelist. Honestly, he looked like Jesus. His hair was parted in the middle. He had a beard. He stands up and he begins to speak. And he really got my attention. And it was one statement that jumped out at me when he said, Jesus said, you're for me or against me. I looked around at the Christians. I thought, well, they're definitely for him. I'm not one of them. Does that mean I'm against Jesus? You know, Kirk, I always believed mm. in Jesus. I mean, I believed he was there somewhere. Uh, I'd seen all of his movies. <laughs> I admired him as a figure, but I never thought of him in a personal way. And then this guy, Lonnie, says, if you want to ask Christ to come into your life, get up and walk forward. And some kids walked forward. I thought, there's no way I would ever do that. Next thing I knew, I was standing up there. I don't even remember getting up and walking there. Just boom, I was there. And I prayed this prayer and I asked Christ to come into my life. And that was 1970. And that was the day that my life changed radically from that moment forward. That hasn't awesome. changed. And I, can, I can relate to, to some of the things that you're saying when I came to faith in Christ and my understanding of my need for him yeah. grew and deepened as I read the Bible yeah. and as I began to respond in yeah. faith. Uh, one of the things that happened to me as well was I began to be more interested in evangelism. Yeah. And obviously, evangelism is at the center of your yeah. heart. What drew you into that realm of ministry? Well, I think um, I, I can't explain it exactly because I wasn't the person in class who liked to be in front of the class. I wasn't a person who liked to give speeches. I was more of a troublemaker, a joker, and a mocker. And, and a cartoonist. And my sole aspiration in life was to become a professional cartoonist. I wanted a comic strip in the paper. That, and I wanted that probably from when I was around 11 or 12 years old and was working at it already. So when I became a Christian, I saw these like uh, the 
what are called tracks, but you know, things that would be handed out in the day and they yeah. were all just, to me, they didn't connect because I even read some of them as a non-Christian when I was getting high and laughed at them. So I thought, I wanna draw something that will connect with people. So I drew this little booklet called Living Water and I went to Chuck Smith, who was the pastor of Calvary Chapel, said, Chuck, I was listening to one of your sermons the other day at church and I drew this little cartoon booklet that shares the gospel. And he liked it so much, he had me redraw it in a proper format to be printed and that was printed. And so that was my first step into evangelism. And so I thought, great, I'm just gonna do uh, drawings and give these out to people and, and you know live that way. But then I began to realize that God was giving me a gift to communicate and to speak. And I found I was finding more joy in talking with people than sitting behind a drawing board all day and, and trying to come mm. up with a new idea. So this is when, I, you know, God gives us gifts. We, he gives us talents and he gives us gifts. Supernatural gifts aren't always related to who we are as a personality. God may call the most unexpected person to do the most unexpected thing. Yeah. Like me, being a preacher and being a teacher. I, I'm a Bible teacher and I, yet I was the worst student. But at the same time, this is something God called me to do. Yeah. So that's how it started. You mentioned earlier when you were sharing your faith story uh, about the Jesus movement and uh, some, some call it the Jesus Revolution. Yeah. For those who aren't familiar with that, can you explain what is the Jesus Revolution? Well, there's this Time Magazine cover. Um, the, Time Magazine dubbed it the Jesus Revolution. Back in the day, we called it the Jesus Movement. And I think actually Time Magazine understood something even we didn't understand. This was a revolution. You know, back in the late 60s, there was a lot of talk of revolution. The Beatles even had a song, Revolution. And the idea was, you know, overthrow the government. Young people have all the answers. Let's change everything. And so when things were really dark, God sent a spiritual awakening. There was a Time Magazine cover in the late 60s. It was a black cover with reversed out red letters with an ominous statement, is God dead? Question mark. A few years later, that cover comes out, Jesus Revolution. What a difference a few years make and what a difference a spiritual awakening makes. Mm. And that's what happened. God sent this awakening, this revival. So when I became a Christian in 1970, I didn't know what an awakening was. I didn't know what a revival was. I didn't even know what church was. And so when I went to church for the first time at Calvary Chapel in Costa Mesa, which was in the throes of the Jesus movement, I walked smack dab into the middle of a spiritual awakening. And it wasn't until later I realized it, but Time Magazine very astutely described it as a revolution. So I think in the church, restoration, revival, revolution for us is getting back to God's original template mm. of the early church that turned their world upside down. And, and that Jesus revolution was really taking place strongly here in Southern California, and yeah. you were a part of that. Do you have any favorite memories of what was going on during that time that you think back to? Yeah, well, you know, it, to me it was like, <clears throat> there was just a very special feeling when you walked into it. Um, no one was ever late for church. Everyone was early because there were no seats. And you walked into this tiny little sanctuary that was overflowing with a lot of young people, but people of all ages, there was a sense of, a, of anticipation, excitement. Uh, contemporary worship music was being born right there mm. because it really didn't exist. Prior to this time, it was like 
you know, your basic hymns and maybe your occasional sort of sing-along song like you would do at a camp. Campfire. But we didn't have what we would call worship music as we know it today. Like what we would sing a, a song by Chris Tomlin or Phil Wickham or, or all these songs we sing today, that didn't exist yet. Uh, for that fact, contemporary Christian music did not exist. Most churches would have a key, uh, piano on one side, an organ on the other, and the occasional odd acoustic guitar, you know. But all of a sudden, we have electric guitars, amplifiers, drum kits. And I watched this happen before my eyes, so it was very exciting to us. Mm. And and it's the, the memories are very strong still. And, and I pray that, this happens again. I know it would feel different because we're in a different time culturally, yet I do find parallels between the time we're in right now mm. and the early 70s. Really strong parallels. With this new movie coming out, The Jesus Revolution, and you've got Kelsey Grammer playing uh, Chuck Smith, and uh, Jesus from The Chosen is playing Lonnie Frisbee. And Jonathan, yeah, Jonathan Rumi, who plays Jesus. Jonathan Rumi. Do, do you approve of the actor playing Greg Laurie in the movie. Yeah, Joel Courtney is a great actor. Good. And uh, I was amazed at, at what he brought to that performance. And he was with some heavyweights there. Kelsey and Jonathan are amazing actors as well. Enjoy this special preview of The Jesus Revolution. Hey, Square. I am not a square. I think we should invite Greg this weekend. What's this weekend? These people are hippies, rebels against old-fashioned authority. I think these kids need help. What they need is a bath. You're passing judgment on people you know nothing about. Maybe that's why your church is so empty. When God walks in here, brings me a hippie. I'll ask him what it's all about, because I do not understand. This house has a very good vibe. There is an entire generation searching. Slow down, man, slow down. Just in all the wrong places. If you want to reach my people, you need to speak to them in a language they understand. If I bring them in, I'm going to lose my job. We can only walk through doors open to us. In your church, that's a door that's shut. You've probably noticed we have some guests here today. I'd like you to meet my new friends. Welcome. They don't belong here. Half of them aren't even wearing shoes. They're staining the new shag carpet. They need our help. If you feel like you're misunderstood and judged, you will find forgiveness and freedom right here. That was awesome. Now that door is open any time of day. And if there are some who don't like that, well then that door works both ways. All right, Pastor, let's begin. I was almost done with this, but then you did what nobody else would even dare. This thing that we found, I feel like I belong. You're gonna need a bigger church. Our country is a dark and divided place, but now there's hope and it's spreading. This is your home, and I want you to tell all your friends about it. Greg, if people want to find out more about the Jesus Revolution movie, where, where should they look? They should go, I would say two sites, jesusrevolutionmovie.com or harvest.org. That's our website. And we'll update you on the latest things happening with it. It's going to be a nationwide release in February of 2023. Uh, and so it's going to go all around. I'm told 
by John Irwin, who's the director, that in the theaters, hopefully, it will reach around 10 million people. And then when it goes to streaming, millions and millions more. So we're praying it will be more than just a great movie experience. And I think people will love it. They'll laugh, they'll cry, they'll be moved. But even more, I pray that will cause them to say, Lord, do it again. Send another spiritual awakening. We're back with Greg Laurie, ready to dive into the topic of revival. I love the word revival. There's two parts there, re and vival. And it makes me think of these stories in the Bible and then stories just throughout history that my friends have told me. And we so want that to happen again today in America and and all around the world. But you're kind of an expert in this subject of evangelism, crusades. A student of it. A student, which makes you really knowledgeable on the subject. Um, Can you define for us what is revival exactly? That's a really great question. I've heard it defined many ways. I like one person's definition. He said revival is when God gets so sick and tired of being misrepresented, he shows up himself. You know, and and I think- Oh, I like that. Yeah, where God just says, okay, this is what this is all about, people. I don't think there's anything, Kirk, that we can do to make a revival happen. But I think we can prepare the ground, or maybe I could say prepare the ground. You know, revival, Mm. uh, let me take two words, awakening and revival. I think America needs a spiritual awakening. I think the church needs a revival. You know, Christians need to be revived and we need to return to what it means to be a real Christian. Of course, the verse that's often quoted, 2 Chronicles 7, 14, which contextually was given to Israel, but I think in principle would apply to any nation or any individual. Where God says, if my people which are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then God promises, I'll hear from heaven, forgive their sin and heal their land. So we gravitate toward the latter part of that verse. Oh yes, Lord, heal our land. God says, if my people, you know, we're so quick to point the finger, look at culture. If the problem is in Hollywood, the problem's in Washington, D.C., the problem's in the yeah. White House. Effectively, God points the finger at his house, and he says, my people need to humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven. So revival starts with us. And I think, you know, Kirk, that revival can be individual. I, I think you can have a revival in a church. You can have a revival in a community but you can have a personal revival where a Christian returns to their first love relationship with Jesus Christ and that passion maybe they had when they were younger in Mm -hmm. the faith that perhaps they've strayed from. But awakening, the nation needs an awakening. And we've had, you know, you could maybe argue it and say five, but I think most agree that there were four great spiritual awakenings in the history of America. The first actually happened before we were officially a nation, Of course, uh, Jonathan Edwards played a key role in that. And I think it was that soil of revival where so many people living in the colonies came to Christ that it became receptive to the seed of democracy as we established a nation. That's why it's so hard to say, let's be engaged in nation building around the country. America was born out of revivalistic roots. And so that gave us a foundation that was unique to our nation. Then a couple of other revivals, the Frontier Revival, then the New York Revival, Fulton Street, the Great Prayer Revival. And I think the last would be the Jesus Movement. And it seems to me that we're overdue for another one. But I would just say revival is, it's restoration. It's being returned to original condition. 
and it's being the Christian that God has called each one of us to be. I think we overly mystify it and we need to understand mm. it in its simplest meaning. So revival, on one sense, could happen at a harvest crusade yeah. where people who don't know the Lord and are far away from Him come to spiritual life, almost like a resurrection from yeah. the dead yes. to spiritual life. Right. But then there's a revival within the people of God yeah. that have fallen away from Him. Yes. And you're saying both of those, awakening, revival. Yes, yes. So, you know, it, it's, it's not either or, it's both and. And all of it's important. You know, I once asked Pastor Chuck Smith, he's regarded as the father of the Jesus movement. He never claimed that title, but he's called that. I asked him, Chuck, do you think we'll ever see another spiritual awakening, another Jesus movement? He said, well, Greg, I don't know if we're desperate enough. But that was a number of years ago I asked him that. He's in heaven now. But I think we might be getting desperate enough. You know, when we turn on the news and we see the violent crime happening in the streets of America today, when we see the social unrest, when we see the riots in the streets, and we see all the divisions that we have right now and, and all the other problems we're facing, and then there's the global issues, the threats against our nation, uh, the, you know, the potential of war, all these things, are we desperate enough to say, God help yeah. and call out to God? And, you know, and I think God wants to send an awakening. I think God wants to bless us even more than we want to be blessed. But will we ask for it? Will we pray for it? Uh, will we call on the Lord and have that desperation? And we're hoping with this film that when people see it, it will inspire them. And we've actually shown it to a lot of audiences, a director's cut. It's not completely done, but mm -hmm. enough of it's done where you get the sense of the story. We've shown it to older people that were there, younger people that were not there. And what I found really interesting, Kirk, is older audiences love it. They connect with it because there's a bit of nostalgia. But younger audiences, I found, were connecting to it as though this is right now. And I had so many young people say, we need one of these for our own generation. So it's been said that the fame of revival spreads the flame of revival. So we're hoping that this revival story that happened will inspire people to say, Lord, we want to see that again. Because a movie, as you know, you're an actor and you're in a lot of films. You know, a movie moves you in a different way than a sermon does. You know, I'm a preacher. I love to preach sermons. But now I've gotten involved in films a little bit. And I've seen the power of telling a story, how it can disarm a person emotionally. And they identify with the character and they're pulled into the story, maybe in a way I could never get their attention as a preacher. And this film, expertly directed by uh, John Irwin, who directed I Can Only Imagine, I Still Believe, American Underdog, Woodlawn and others, he said to me, this is the best film I've ever been able to make. He mm. says, everything I've done up to this point has been building to this film. And I think he used all the tools at his disposal to tell a story he desperately wanted to tell. And John's hope was not just to make a great movie. John's hope as the director was to tell a story that would inspire another generation to say, do it again, Lord. I, I, I'm, I'm so excited. I can't wait for people to see The Jesus Revolution uh, when it comes out in movie theaters. Greg, you, you just said something here um, about revival in America today. And Chuck Smith saying, I'm not sure if people are desperate enough yet. Yeah. I, I was recently talking with Francis Chan and he was saying that he sees God moving in places overseas like in Myanmar and in Iran and in China. Yeah. And I wonder if, if, 
it's kind of like you have kids. I have six children. And as my kids are getting older, you know, there's kind of a phase where they go through where they sort of think that they know better than you yeah. do. They think they've got it all figured out. And sometimes you try to rescue them from their bad decisions. And then you realize, you know what? Yeah. They need to figure this out. And when they fall on their face after they make their bad decision, then they come back and they go, Dad, you were right. Yeah. And I see in the Old Testament that God often hands his own people over to their own depraved decisions sure. until they finally choke on it. Yeah. And they say, oh, revive us again, Lord. Yeah. Bring, bring us back to, to where yes. we were. Yes. Do you think that we could see this as maybe the loving hand of God chastising and disciplining his own people and allowing yeah. challenging things to happen in our culture in America to bring us to that point? of returning to our senses? Yes, yes. It's been said when you get to the end of yourself, you get to the beginning of God. And I think that even the culture, even non-believers are beginning to see the results of these bad decisions that have been made. You know, we've sown the wind, we reap the whirlwind. And I think it's causing people to wonder, well, like, how are we gonna change this? It's not gonna be done as a result of a, a candidate. Politics can't fix this. Technology can't fix this. If anything, technology is probably added to the problems with social media, and, and that, that's a dynamic we didn't have when we were kids, you know? Yeah. In some ways, to me, like, uh, you know, social media is almost like another form of LSD. Uh, LSD was something one took to expand their consciousness and enter into this other world, which was deception and a horrible thing and ruined a lot of lives. But people go into this vortex of social media and, you know, and they're so affected by it and they're looking for something. I think these younger generations we have now, the millennials, but now Gen Z, they're really searching. A lot of them are activists and they're trying to change things in the world today, but I think they're looking for a cause and a purpose and they need to see this for themselves. We need to pray that God, like I said earlier, Revival is when God gets so sick and tired of being misrepresented, he shows up himself. We pray that God will show up and they'll see him. And it won't look like the Jesus movement. But it's funny though, Kirk, because there's parallels culturally even. Mm. Like a lot of the bands we listen to the first time around, young kids are listening to. They like the old, you know, late 60s music better than the modern music. Yeah. And they're wearing, you know, T-shirts for, you know, Pink Floyd, the Beatles, you know, the Grateful Dead, the Stones, whatever, and they're listening to vinyl again. And it's even weird how certain drugs that were popular in the late 60s have made a comeback, like marijuana. More people are smoking marijuana in America today than smoke cigarettes. LSD has returned again. And it's strange because now we have fentanyl taking the lives of so many people. And so we see the drug issues front and center like we haven't seen them for a long time. And it reminds me, there's parallel cultures uh, that are happening, but ultimately we need Jesus. And this, our job, my job as an older person now, and you're kind of in the middle, you're still young, but um, my job is to pass this on to the best of my ability to the next generation. So that's what I'm trying to do. You know, here's what God did for us. We pray he'll do it for you and try to help and encourage that. We're talking about revival. And, and Greg, let's talk about personal revival. Mm -hmm. How do I know if I am in need of a personal revival? Mm. Yes, good question. Well, I would say we find ourselves sometimes in sort of a spiritual slump and we may not even be aware of it. But uh, we find compromises are being made in our life, things mm. that we had turned our back on years ago, 
maybe we're indulging them a little bit more again, or maybe doing things we'd never done before. And, and um, we're, we're not reading the word of God. We're not praying. Mm. We're not, we never share our faith. We can't remember the last time we've told someone about Jesus. And that's a very important thing with revival, by the way, just to kind of go off on that in just a moment. Evangelizing replenishes you as you share the gospel so with someone else. And then if you have the opportunity to get a new believer in your life, it will have a reviving effect on you because the new believer energizes you as an older Christian and you as an older believer stabilize them. So as they're learning things for the first time, you're relearning them. We were talking a few moments ago about grandparenting. You're not a grandparent yet, I am. And you know, the fun thing about kids is, you know, when you go with the kid to like Disneyland or do something fun with them, you see it through their eyes and you rediscover it again. And I think that happens when you have new believers in your life. It's really important to share your faith. But anyway, I think you just see things, you find yourself slipping, you find yourself changing, you find yourself going back to your old ways a bit and, and maybe even contemplating things you would never even dream of contemplating uh, earlier. So that, that, those are reminders that we need to return to the Lord. But sometimes it's a crisis that gets our attention. You know, the most significant event of my life uh, next to my conversion and my marriage was when the Lord called our son Christopher home to heaven uh, in 2008. He was 33 years old. So, you know, it rocked our world. And even though I was a pastor, I had no way of knowing how this would impact me because I've done many funeral services for parents who lost children. And I thought that I had a sense of what that was like, but you have no sense of what it's like until it happens to mm. you. And, but it, what it caused me to do was just to turn to God because uh, you know, if God didn't come through for me, I would have given up preaching. I can tell you that right now. Why would I tell people you know, what the Bible says and what they should do if I can't practice it myself? But the Lord got me through and I would add gets me through. It's been 14 years now, it's still real to us, but it caused us to turn to the Lord. It caused us to say, Lord, what do you want us to do with our lives? You know, my wife and I were in our 50s when this happened. So I thought, I don't know how much life I have left, 20 years, 25 years, who knows? But I want to take this last section of my life and I want to use it for the glory of God. I, I want to do things that count. I have no interest in retirement. I have no interest in golfing or just sitting around or doing whatever people want to do when they retire. What, what I want to do is just make the last lapse of my life matter. So that had a reviving mm -hmm. effect on me. I wouldn't obviously wish that on anybody, but sometimes God will allow a crisis. It could be a cancer diagnosis. It could be uh, the death of a loved one. It could be some other thing that happens to you, problems in your family that gets you to turn back to God. And scripture says, a modern translation, when trials come crashing into your life, brothers, don't treat them as intruders, but friends, because the testing of God has mm. come to strengthen you. And we usually look at this trial as bad, intruder, get out of my life. But God can use these things to bring us to our senses and to our knees where we turn back to God. He's the one we need to be looking to yeah. all the time. We can become proud, we can become arrogant. It's not like we stop believing, but we just don't have that closeness with the Lord we had earlier. So again, the Lord says to us, remember from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works quickly. 
The amazing thing to me about the Lord is he's so ready to welcome us. Not, I'm gonna slap you around a little bit first. No, it's like, hey, come on to me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. I love you. Let me help you. And he's there. I bet there are people who are listening to us right now saying, that's me. I, I, I know that I have fallen away from my first love. It's yeah. not like it was in the beginning. Yeah. What are some steps somebody can take to begin that personal revival? I would just say, as I said earlier, go back to the basics. You never outgrow certain things. <laughs> it'd, be like, it'd be like somebody saying, yeah, I used to be into the old eating thing, you know, three times a day. I'm over that now. No, you aren't. You still have to eat. You still have to right. do all the things a normal human being needs to do. And I think in this, what's true physically is also true spiritually. There are disciplines in your life one must practice if you feel like doing them or not. Mm. Uh, that's what it means to be a disciple. So you discipline yourself to do these things. But what I find is sort of like when I work out. I don't like to work out. I'm always looking for ways to get out of working out. But after I'm done, I'm glad I did it, right? And for yeah. in my age, it's more not so much just building up muscle, but it's maintaining mobility and flexibility so I can do what God has called me to do. So I always like the result of it, but it takes discipline to get me to the place where I do the thing I need to do. So sometimes I don't feel like reading the Bible today, I'll say in the morning. Yeah. I don't want to go to church today. It's a beautiful day. Let's go to the beach. Or No, no, discipline. Now, these are priorities in our life. This is what we do as a Christian family. You know, we open the Word of God. We, we're an active part of our church. You know, we're, we're looking for ways for the Lord to use us. Our finances belong to the Lord. Discipline. We're taking a percentage of our income. We're giving it to God. We're also going to even give above and beyond that. But these are disciplines that result in great blessing in our life. So it's not legalism, but rather as you do these things, I find you realize that it's a beautiful thing and, and it's something you want to keep doing. But if we sit around and always wait for the emotions to kick in, making yeah. us want to do them, we may not get where we need to be. So I just say, do like Jesus said to the church at Ephesus, do the first works quickly. Do those things and do the motion and the emotion will catch up. But don't make it all about your emotions because... We get down, we get discouraged. Mm. Even Elijah got discouraged. And it's funny because the Lord, he was hiding in a cave after Jezebel put a contract out on him after Mount Carmel, after the prophets of Baal were defeated. And the Lord speaks to him in the cave in a still small voice. And his question was, what are you doing here? Like, what are you doing here? Like, this is not where you should be. So if we find ourselves in that place, the Lord wants us to, you know, we have to take practical steps to get out of that place and get back to those, that first love and that closer relationship with Jesus Christ. What, what about somebody who says, you know, I, I, I'm not sure if I need a, a, a revival yeah. or a, a, I'm calling it a resurrection. Yeah. I mean, I don't just not have an interest in the things of God. Yeah. I don't really like reading the Bible. Yeah. In fact, I'm kind of repelled by it because yeah. of, uh, uh, other lifestyles that I want to live. Yeah. Um, is there a chance that someone needs to just re-examine whether or not they're even in the faith? I yes. Mean yeah, 100%. And as I read these studies that come out periodically about X amount of evangelical Christians, you know, believe that Jesus is one of many ways to God or X amount of evangelicals uh, believe that, uh, that, you know, if you live a good life, you'll get to heaven. So my response is X amount of evangelicals 
clearly don't know what the Bible says, and maybe they're not even Christians to begin with. Sometimes the question is asked, can a Christian lose their salvation? And I think maybe the better question is, did the so-called Christian have salvation to begin with? You know, Paul asked the question, check up on yourselves. Are you really Christians or are you just pretending to be a Christian when you actually aren't at all? And I think it's good to do a spiritual yeah. checkup. And how do I know? Well, there'll be spiritual fruit in my life. And, and if there's no fruit in your life, spiritual fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, long-suffering, Galatians 5 says, if people can't see the evidence, then one must wonder, am I a believer? You know, Jesus said, you are my, you are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. He didn't say whatsoever you personally agree with or whatsoever you find easy. No, whatsoever I command you. Uh, once I had someone say to me, what do you do when you come to a verse in the Bible you don't agree with? I said, change your opinion. You're wrong. The word is right. Simple as that. Yeah. It's not about if you agree with it or if it's what is culturally acceptable. It's what the Bible says. I've been married for 31 years. You've been married for... Almost 50. Almost 50 years. And, and I know that when someone first gets married, boy, you can almost pick out the newlyweds in the room, yeah. right? There's just, they're sitting a little closer <laughs> to each other than everybody else. They've got that, that magic yeah. laser light show going on in their eyes yeah. with each other. Uh, and, and as couples uh, mature in their relationship, yeah. it looks different. Yeah. It's not, it's not less than... No. It's deeper. Yeah. It can be deeper, but it looks different. What should it look like for a seasoned Christian that's been walking with Jesus for decades? Does it have to be the excited, oh my goodness, you know, way it was in the very beginning? Or does a healthy Christian look a little different than he did in the beginning? Yes to both. Uh, I think that it starts, it's sort of like C.S. Lewis likened it to starting a car. You know, the explosion, the actually that starts the engine. But now the engine runs. You know, when you're first maybe in love with a girl or a guy, when you're around them, you have butterflies in your stomach, you trip over your words. I mean, if I woke up and came talked to my wife in the morning and said, I have butterflies in my stomach, I, she'd think I was having a heart attack or something, right? So <laughs> it's a deeper, Lewis again describes it as a deeper, quieter love. And I think the problem is we, we become infatuated with infatuation and we confuse lust with love. So if everything is about that, there comes a point in a marriage when you're maturing and it isn't that emotional feeling as it was. And you say, well, we're now out of love. No, your love is deepening. Mm -hmm. Your love is expanding. And if your love is all about that emotion, then you know your marriage isn't gonna last. And then you know, you're gonna go into your second marriage or your third marriage. And we look at the people in Hollywood today. We look at all these relationships they go through, all, you know, if you wanna call them a relationship, and the divorces that come so quickly. And, and you know, I think wedlock should be a padlock. I think you should take your time before you marry somebody. And I think you should really get to know them. And you should look for a man or a woman of God if you're a Christian. Of all the illustrations, God could have chosen to show his love for the church and the church's love for him. He picked marriage. Yeah. Love your wife as Christ loves the church. Uh, wives, submit to your husbands. It's under the Lord. That's the picture. And it's something that we grow and mature and deepen in. And, and I can say, having done this a few years now, that it gets better, it gets stronger, it gets deeper. And so I encourage people to hang in there and hold on. Yeah. And whatever crisis they're going through, they're gonna get through it. I, I gave a message a while ago and I uh, titled it, What I Would Tell My Younger Self, 
right? So I thought about what would I say to my younger self? And I thought, well, I would tell younger Greg, use sunscreen more because you're going to take too many trips to the dermatologist. I would tell him, buy the Star Wars figures in the original packaging when it first came out. They'll be worth a lot later <laughs> on eBay. But seriously, though, one thing I said, and I said this to a group of young people the other night, it's going to be okay. And by that I mean, I know when you're young, something that seems small to an adult is big to you. You know, it's a big thing. You're going to get through it. Because there's so much uncertainty and fear about the future with young people today. I want to say, it's going to be okay. If you put your trust in Christ, he's going to get you through what you're going through. He's going to work it together ultimately for his glory and your good. So just hang on and you'll see with the passing of time. And you'll be able to look back in your life and say, ah, so that's why that happened. Not everything. There are things that are inexplicable. Coming back to my son, I, I would never look back on that as a good event. I would look upon it as a tragedy. But despite the tragedy, God brought good into my life. Mm. That's how I view it. And so, you know, the Lord has been faithful. The Lord has been good. And if someone young is watching me, he'll be faithful and good to you as well. So you put your faith in him and you press on. So, Greg, you had said a little bit ago that uh, God decides when revival comes, yeah. we don't. What, what do you mean by that? Because as far as, as I can tell, when I read through the scriptures, he wants revival and, and, yeah. and spiritual vibrancy happening all the time, doesn't he? Yeah, it, yes, but it seems that there are moments in time when the Holy Spirit is poured out in a significant way and you can't always explain it. Uh, take the Fulton Street Revival in New York City. Uh, a man named Jeremiah Lanthier decided to start a prayer meeting. Very few people showed up. Then the stock market crashed. And suddenly theaters and churches and buildings were overflowing with people mm. praying. And then people were coming to Christ. Thousands of people were coming to faith. So that's a spiritual awakening. And does that happen all the time? No, clearly it doesn't. Because it seems like even spiritual awakenings often have a beginning, middle, and end. I mean, the Jesus movement happened. Uh, are we having it happen right now? No, but we still see the effects of it. But they're all like waves that come rolling through. And I can't always explain these things, but I think individually, we all want to be living uh, an awakened life, a, a spiritually passionate life. We're walking closely with Christ. But these moves of the Spirit that come uh, are something that the Lord would decide when and where they would happen. And, and I just, as I said earlier, I, I think we can prepare the ground for them and start praying for them and make sure that our heart is open to it. Like as an example, Kirk, you know, there's a man named Chuck Smith. He was a pastor of a failing church. Uh, there was a hippie evangelist named Lonnie Frisbee that came down from San Francisco. Chuck wanted to see God move. There was a young generation of people that were turning to drugs and every other thing, and they were lost. And his wife, Kay, had a real heart to reach those kids. And so she said, let's pray that we can meet a hippie. Chuck didn't want to meet a hippie. He thought they all needed a haircut and, you know, needed to get a job. But one day his sister, his, excuse me, his daughter, Jan, uh, brought a hippie home named Lonnie Frisbee, and Chuck and Lonnie met. It was like nitro met glycerin. Lennon met McCartney, right? It was the explosion. Boom. 
chuckle out Lonnie to preach in his church and a door that had been closed up to that point was now open. Pretty soon, young people are coming to Christ. I was just one of them. And this awakening spread literally around the state, the nation, and ultimately the mm. world. It comes down to this. The churches that opened their doors to the Jesus movement had revival. The churches that did not open the doors did not have it. So God's doing a work. Do we want the work to happen in our life? It's like being filled with the Holy Spirit. God wants to fill us with the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5 says, be being filled with the Holy Spirit. But God won't force that on us. I have to open my heart to it. And so will I open my heart to the work that God wants to do? I can say no when he nudges me to share my faith. I can say no when the Spirit leads me to open scripture. I can say yes to a temptation when the Lord is obviously telling me not to give into it. So I have to respond to the prompting of the Spirit. Mm -hmm. God wants to work, that's true. But do we want him to work in our life and in our church? And, and am I willing to have some upheaval? Because when God is at work, you know, it may make changes you're not yeah. fully prepared for, but I can't think of anything more exciting. So when we're trusting, uh, trusting God to send a revival and to do something supernatural, how should we be praying for that? If God's going to do it anyway, do I need to pray? Well, yes, we should be praying continually. So what does a prayer for revival sound like? Wow, it's a great prayer. Well, I think of the prayer of, um, of Nehemiah when he said to the Lord, we have sinned against you. And you think, wait, Nehemiah, you didn't really sin, did you? Well, of course he did. We've all sinned. You know, there are sins of commission and omission. A sin of commission is when I do what I shouldn't do. A sin of omission is when I don't do what I should do. The Bible says, he that knows to do good and does not do it to him, it is sin. I believe it could be as much of a sin in a way to not respond to the prompting of the Spirit to share my faith as it could be to go break a commandment. There's all kinds of sins. Yeah. So what I appreciate is that this man of God included himself in the prayer, we have sinned against you. I think, again, it's really easy to point fingers that that church needs to change. That pastor isn't right. That person over there fell or failed. Yeah, maybe they did. What about you? Let it start with you. Hmm. You know, don't be so quick picking out the speck in your brother's eye when you have a telephone pole in yours. Let it begin with you mm. and let God change your heart. And I love the prayer of the psalmist who said, search me, O God, and try me and know my ways and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So say, Lord, is there something in my life that isn't right before you? Something I need to repent of? Is there something I need to do more yeah. of? And so I think it starts with us as individuals. And we just say, Lord, revive me. Let me be the Christian. Let me be the follower you want me to be. And that's not just something we pray once a year. I think it's something every day. You could just, before you even get out of bed, say, Lord, just fill me with your spirit and lead me and guide me and help me to honor you with my life. And the Lord will hear that prayer and the Lord will honor that prayer and the Lord will open up opportunities for you. Greg, I travel around the country a lot and people often ask me, why are you still in California? Haven't you left that yeah. God-forsaken place yet? Yes. And you know, I, I, I love hearing about the spiritual heritage that we have here in California. And um, 
I love when Pastor Jack Hibbs from Calvary Chapel Chino Hills likes to say, this is my home. I'm not going anywhere. And if you're looking for a fight, uh, Christians come to California. This is this is the front lines of yeah. the battle. Yeah. And by the way, we've already hit the bottom. Yeah. I don't think we can go much lower yes. than where we are. Yeah. And so I think it's 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 all up from, from here. Yeah. Do you think California can experience another Jesus revolution like it did in the 60s? I think we can and I think we must because I don't know what else could turn our state around. Uh, it's funny, I just ran, ran into Jack at the airport the other day. We were both flying back from Texas where we had spoken separate places and we talked about that very thing. And I said, well, you know, Jack, I see the people, uh, I, you know, I'm staying in California because someone has to turn the lights off, right? I'm joking because I want to turn the light on. We've been doing these Harvest Crusades at Angel Stadium and thankfully TBN has aired them for so many years, you know, for over 30 years now. And I, you know, California is known for starting things. Trends start here. Uh, and so I'm praying that we'll be known for a new export, something we haven't been known for for a long time, and that would be another spiritual awakening. I would love it if it happened here in California again. And it would be the perfect place because it would be the most unexpected place. This is far from the Bible Belt, as they call it. That's right. Uh, you know, there was a time when I was younger when we had what we might call cultural Christianity. Was it real Christianity? Uh, it's questionable, but at least it had some of the framework of the Christian faith, what's right and wrong, family's important, mm -hmm, et cetera. Mm -hmm. We don't have anything like that anymore. Cultural Christianity is dead. People are so illiterate about the Bible today, it's laughable. Okay, that's the bad news. The good news, it's a blank slate. It's something where something can happen that's fresh and new and unexpected, and it would blow the minds of people to use 60s vernacular. And, and I, I pray it will happen here, and I think it could. I do too. <laughs> and I want to be right here at the heart, in the Amen. heart of it, right alongside it. you. Hi, I'm Kirk Cameron. Thanks for listening to this episode of Takeaways. If you love the conversations that we're having, please follow or subscribe to this podcast to never miss any of this great content. And please consider leaving a positive rating and a review to help others like you discover this show.